And I've just entitled this, and we're going to look at the Great Commission this morning. I've entitled this On Mission <clears throat> with King Jesus. On Mission with King Jesus. I felt like we, we were doing that last night. Amen? All, and everybody had a part. Some of you that couldn't even make it, you brought tons of candy. We had so much candy that was not an issue. Everybody had a part to play. And we did that. And it was wonderful. Um, and I think, I think there's going to be some fruit other than just, just our obedience that, that, that God's going to bring about as a result of that. But if you'll turn in your Bibles to Matthew 28, I'd like you to find your way to Matthew 28 verses, actually 16 through 20. I don't know why I've got 18 up there. That's only half of them. 16 through 20. Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher said this every Christian listen to this now he's talking to you and I every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter I don't know but that that should hurt your feelings a little bit <laughs> every Christian now think about yourself now you're either a missionary on mission with Jesus or you're an imposter I heard another brother put it this way, talking about the call uh, really to salvation and service that Jesus gives to Peter. Follow me and I'll make you what, church? And he said this. He said, if you ain't fishing, you ain't following. <laughs> Amen. We were doing some fishing last night. And we need to do more of that. And more of us need to do more of that. One of the great um, missions pastors, evangelists, evangelistic pastors in Canada, of all places, a guy named Oswald J. Smith. Go look him up. He will hurt your feelings, but he will also encourage you in the Lord. He said this, any church that is not seriously involved in helping fulfill the Great Commission has forfeited its biblical right to exist. I wish he'd just get off the fence and say it, but... He also said this, uh... Brother Smith said this. He said, the church that doesn't evangelize will fossilize. And I fear that's a little bit of what we're seeing today. You know? So if you got your copy of God's Word, go ahead and go there to Matthew 28. And I'm just going to read for you verses 16 through 20. Won't be on the screen. We've got to get back to being used to reading out of our own Bibles. But here's what it says. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. Don't miss that. When they saw him, they what, church? What's your Bible say? They worshiped, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, here's what he said, all authority, you can substitute the word in their power, has been given to me where? And on earth. Is there anywhere else? I think he's pretty much got it covered, <laughs> right? A whole, he's the king of the universe, everything. It's been given to me in heaven and on earth. And because that's true, verse 19, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I have commanded, and lo, and that's an important word. Matter of fact, if you've got your own Bible, I want you to, to maybe, if, you, if you, you should write in your Bible. 
I love Jay's Bible. Um, it's coming apart. <laughs> but, you know, someone told me once, Jay, a Bible that's coming apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. But Jay writes all over his Bible. I think that's good. Get a Bible you can, you can mark up. Um, but underline or even circle that little word low because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to hit that at the end. We ignore it. It's actually a verb. It's a command verb. It's powerful. He says, and low or remember, I am what, church? What's it say? With you. I'm always with you. Even to the end of the age. And then notice that quote ends there. And Matthew, <laughs> under the power of the Holy, inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, amen. Let it be. So be it. Or I agree this is true. So may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Did you notice in this small section, just pulling back and looking a little bit, you notice the frequency of the word or at least the concept all, A-L-L. -L. It's all over this text. All power is given to Christ in all places, heaven and on earth, among all people. We go to all the nations, right? And all the precepts of Christ, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, and I am with you. The entire presence of Christ is always with us. See that word all? It just permeates this whole thing. And it's fascinating to look at that. So let's jump right in on verse 16. Hopefully you've got a listening sheet. Um, Linda's here, and I appreciate her making that a very big part of her ministry. To make sure that we all have that. It's important. So this will be some of it in there. Verse 16, then the 11 disciples... How many disciples are there? How many were there? Where's the 12th one, church? He's dead. He's actually buried in a field um, for foreigners and strangers. So that's Judas. So that's why there's 11. By the way, pay attention to the history of the Bible. Amen? There's a reason for everything. Then the 11 disciples went away into, what's that town called? really a province Galilee that's in the north by the way to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them now I want you to notice two elements I'm going to hit these pretty quickly two elements here and they're just lying right on the surface of this text and the first one I see is submission because they did what Jesus told them to do right it's obedience you see it what did they do they went away into Galilee because Jesus told them to do what go to Galilee and I'll meet you there and now look at the next one. It's predetermination or orders. He said, where, where, where are we supposed to meet you, Jesus? On the mountain that Jesus had appointed for them. They obviously, do you think they had any, did, did they need the GPS coordinates to meet Jesus? I think they spent a lot of time in this very specific place. I, th I think it's where they hung out. And, and Jesus was very specific. Here's where you're going to meet me. And it's, I think that's, this is where Jesus does a lot of the teaching. They spent a lot of time in this specific place on this specific mountain. Now, they call it a mountain. You and I would call it a hill. There, there's not like super tall mountains in, in, in um, Israel. It's a tall hill. But they're up there. And I think this is interesting when we see that Jesus planned, the, planned it in advance, this place for them. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm happy that our king is going ahead of us 
preparing the way, in this case, for our witness. He's getting ready to give them the commission, and he, he's, he's preparing the way. Do you think the Lord prepared the way last night for us? Let me tell you how he did that. At, Linda, you took it right out of my brain. That's exactly right. We stood out there, and like five minutes before, it started um, misting, and it was starting to get heavier. We had sound equipment, that jump house set up there with electricity to it. And if it was going to, and I looked, I pulled my phone out, and it said 80% chance of rain from 4 to 5, 90% from 5 to 6, and 30% from 6 to 7. I'm like, we're going to have to pull all this stuff and put it inside. Yep, and I got a few of the guys together. I said, what should we do? And they said, look, let's just pray. This is God's thing, and let's not move it unless it gets heavier, the rain gets heavier. And so we did. We just prayed. We said, Lord, this is your deal. You know, we're just trying to, trying to do this to reach out to this community. It's going to be really hard if it's all inside because people are going to be super reluctant. I would be if I didn't know that church to go inside and do this. We wanted to keep it out. And look, look what God did. He went ahead of us, didn't he? And he prepared. And that rain stopped. And the people started coming, not till about quarter to five. But boy, once that hit, they came. Because God had planned, I believe God had planned this to plant these seeds in advance. Ephesians 2.10, jot that down. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Look at this now. Which God prepared beforehand in advance that we should walk in them. I think God prepared last night in advance some good works that you and I could walk in. And notice where it was. It was in Galilee. Anything ring a bell about Galilee? That's where everything started, wasn't it? That was right where, where Jesus discipled the disciples. I think probably right on this mountain. That's where Peter quits. He says, okay, I'm going back to fishing. Who's coming with me? And they all came. And that's where Jesus, the Messiah, recalls, restores, and remissions Peter right there on the shores of the Sea of Galilee or that giant Lake Gennesaret, just like he did at the beginning. It's also called Galilee of the Gentiles. And that's a clear nod to the fact that this good news is going to go to the Gentiles too. And all of this is pre-planned by our king. Anybody glad for that today? But guess what? I got a newsflash for you. You're a Gentile. So am I. Right? God opened this up for you and I pre-planned in advance. Look at verse 17. This is a weird one. So I want you to get the picture. Take the Bible glasses off for a second and think about it. So they're up on this hill. It's a place we're supposed to be. Right? And it says, and, and it appears that Jesus is at a little bit of a distance from them. They're walking up there and they see him. It says, and when they saw him, and, and there's a reason I think he's at a distance because the next verse says he, he walks towards them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some what? Doubted. Doubted. Now, let me, let me just say this here. That word worship, when I say worship, what do you think of? This, sitting under the word, what would you say? Praising. Praising, like we were singing. Why, why did you enjoy that? I, I enjoyed the singing this morning. Um, I always liked, even as a kid, that song, um, Shelter in a Time of Storm. But I like it better the way Joseph plays it. Because um, I could just, I just sense that. I think the Lord likes that. I think the Lord likes us singing his exact words back to him. I think that's pretty neat, right? We think of that as worship. That's not what this word means. That word worship literally means they got on their knees before the Lord. 
They're literally on their knees worshiping him. And, he, and he's a little bit of a distance off, but notice it says some doubted. There could be a lot of reasons for that. We don't, we don't know really what that's about. Here's what we do know. I call that hesitation in your outline. And the reason I call it hesitation is because the actual Greek word doesn't mean unbelief. It, it, it means that there is a hesitation and a lack of confidence. They were unsure. Now, they could have been unsure because he was at a little bit of a distance. They could have been unsure about what's coming next. They could have been unsure. Have you ever been unsure about stuff in your life? As, as, even as it relates to the Lord, right? They weren't sure. But, but look, look, this is so vital. They're worshiping in the midst of their doubt, of, their, of the fact that they're, they're not sure, but they're going to worship. How many of you would worship if, at all if you only did it when you were completely confident about everything that was going on? We wouldn't worship, would we? Ever. And I love this statement. As, as I was pouring through this, it, it, it's one of those things that just came to my mind. And, and it's experientially true. And it is this. The antidote to doubt is always a clearer view of Jesus and a closer proximity to Jesus. Let me say that again. When we're hesitant, when we're lacking confidence, when we're not sure what, what the Lord is doing, you know what the antidote is? Get close to him. And by the way, he's right where you left him. He never moves. He calls us to come in fellowship with him, right? Because look at, look at the beginning of verse 18. The Bible says, and Jesus came. I, it's kind of the, the intonation. He's coming towards them, and as he's walking up to them, here is what he's saying. He's given them the commission. So it's not doubt. It's not unbelief. It's just a hesitation. They're not sure. And we talked about that in our D group this morning. It was great. How could those disciples still not get it? Because they didn't have the Holy Spirit yet, right? And that's why Jesus said, don't do anything. Do nothing. Go back to Jerusalem and wait, right? And then the Holy Spirit shows up, and wow, then you see a different disciple. So, verse 18, Jesus is the one that moves. Verse 18, and Jesus came and spoke to them and said, All authority has been given to me where, church? In heaven and on earth. And I'm, I know what we do. We read right over that. Right? Because we know what's coming next, don't we? Because right after all authority is our job. But let me tell you something. Unless this all authority part is true, your job's impossible. You aren't doing your job without verse 18. Without verse 18, there's no verse 19, and there's certainly no verse 20. Are you with me this morning? And I think a lot of times what we do is we set out to do the work of God without God himself. And it's impossible. It is, and it's discouraging. I just call this revelation. Jesus said, hey, there's, you need to know something. All authority... Is whose? Mine. Abraham Kuyper said, put it this way. He said, there's not one square inch of creation over which the risen king does not say, that is mine. That's mine. He bought it with his blood. You say, I thought he just bought me with his blood. No, he bought everything back. He's redeeming it all. And it belongs legally to the king of kings and the Lord of lords. 
Amen, church? I threw this in there, another thought that came to me. Jesus gave them something to know before he ever gave them something to do. And by the way, I think this is partially why we don't do anything. It's because we don't know anything. The more you know about who we're serving and who is sitting at the right hand of the Father and whose all of his enemies are being put under his feet, the more you know about him, that's why theology matters, church. The more you know about this king, the more you're going to understand your part in helping those enemies to be put under his feet. By the way, you know what some of those enemies are? You. Absolutely. And your behavior. That's treasonous. And Jesus is just, he's beating all that. And you, get the, you and I get to be a part of that. It's exciting. Now, this is a total authority. It wasn't just a nice sentiment that he's giving them to boost their confidence. <laughs> Let me put it this way. Sam, Jesus wasn't just coaching up the disciples here. He, he wasn't just trying to pump them up. And by the way, oh, and this is what I hear. And this, I hate, can I just be honest with you? Sometimes I think this, and I hate to admit that. This authority thing wasn't just, and I'm going to use this word, write it down. It wasn't just spiritual authority. Because let me ask you, what is spiritual authority? Really, like in the real world, what is spiritual authority? Mm -hmm. Who said nothing? Yeah, in other words, well, it's spiritual, but it's got nothing to do with the here and now. Okay, can, I, can we just call a spade a spade this morning? When you and I think spiritual authority, we mean, it really means nothing. Throw, flush that thought. This, he, did Jesus say all spiritual authority is given to me in heaven and earth? No, what did he say? All authority. Did he put any qualifier? Yes, he did. It's all, but that's it. It's a quantity thing. It's all his. And it's real world right now. A real world authority, listen to this, over every and any other jurisdiction including and not limited to government and politics. By the way, did you know that at this time in history, I'm going to give you a little history lesson, Rome was carrying out something that the CC children know very well called the Pax what? Romana. Julius Caesar and the... I know, it's like a cult, but we teach these kids history that way. <laughs> Even Jack knew that one. Julius Caesar and the Pax Romana, which is the Roman peace. So here's how, here's how the Roman peace worked. <laughs> it was peace through superiority. All right? So, so what Rome would do, when your tribe submitted through surrender to Rome, which was the only answer, here's what they would do. The, Rome would send a contingency into your capital, and they would nail their euangelion, or their gospel, that's the word for gospel, they would literally nail their gospel on a post right at City Hall for all to see, right in the center of where, where business was done for everybody to see. And on it, on this gospel proclamation from Rome, because you surrendered wisely, here's what was written. You ready for this? Quote, there is no other name given to men whereby you can be saved, save Augustus. 
that sound familiar? Does that ring a bell to anybody? Now, so your tribe submitted to Rome. Here's how you did it. By admitting that Caesar is Lord. Caesar's my master. And if I have any hope of life and peace on this earth, my only hope is in the name of Augustus Caesar. Matter of fact, one of his titles, self-proclaimed, was the Divi Filius. You know what that means? It's Latin for son of God. <laughs> That's what Caesar called himself. And you better call him that too. Or you could expect some very nasty consequences. Not limited to the excruciating end of your life. Um, so this is what these early Christians were dealing with. And we come across this in Acts chapter 4. Um, where the high priest, Caiaphas, um, and, and the rulers, John and Alexander, they were all together in Jerusalem, and they, they pull in uh, Peter and John. Now, Peter and John had, had done some miracles, and they, wanted, and they didn't like the fact that they were gaining popularity, that this... By the way, do you know what the early church was called? Followers of the way. They did not like that this thing was growing. So they pulled them in legally. Now they're in court, basically, standing before these guys. And they're saying, How did you, by what power have you done this? And it's really cool because verse number 8, Peter responds. And I like how the, how the historical record is. Then Peter, comma, filled with the Holy Spirit, comma, watch out. When you got a man who's filled with the Holy Spirit, he's not worried about his own skin. Here's what he says to them. Rulers of the people and elders of Israel. If we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man by what means we have made him well, let it be known to you all and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, is this guy bold or what? Whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. Then he's going to throw some Jewish prophecy, which they have, would have known very well in their face. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders. Ooh, let me tell you what. The, the, the temperature of these men are going up. They are not happy. They're really being brought to account. Who does he think he is? This Peter, this fisherman. It's not about who he is. It's about who he's representing. Because do you remember what Jesus said? How much authority was his? Even over these, these fellows, these rulers, right? Peter's bold. This is a stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. By the way, that's in Psalm 118.22, if you want to go look that up. Then Peter lays this on them. And it changes the whole thing. If Peter hadn't have said this, I'm pretty sure he, his life would have ended pretty much right there. But he, listen to what Peter says and see if it's familiar. Nor, nor, he's not done yet, is there salvation in any other. For there is no name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And he stops talking. Does that sound familiar? What did Peter just do? Yeah, he just committed treason against Rome. 
those Jewish leaders know it, and they don't want anything to do with him. They want him out of their presence and out of their hands and hair as fast as possible. They sweep the whole matter under the rug. <laughs> and, and, the, and the biblical record is amazing. Verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived they had been with Jesus. Ha! Imagine that. They marveled, the Bible says. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. So, all right, just, just leave. Just get out. Because they just committed treason. He, literally, Peter is stealing the Pax Romana. And saying, let me tell you, there's a greater authority than Caesar. It's Jesus. All authority has been given to him. By the way, he proved that. Did you know that? I'm going to say this real quick, and I want to move on because I want to finish this up. Do you remember when Jesus was put in the tomb and the religious leaders went to bug Pilate one more time? And Pilate had already had it up to here. His wife's now mad at him because he turns Jesus over to be crucified. She said, don't have anything to do with him. He is just, he's like, I am so done with this thing. Don't they come back? Oh, we got to talk to you right now. What? This deceiver said he was going to rise again in three days. Can you put a contingency? Can we you know, put some soldiers out there? And after the third day, this whole thing will go away because they're going to come steal the body, and this thing is not going to be over. And Pilate's like, fine, do, do whatever seems right to you. So they, 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 they put a contingency of soldiers, and what they would do, they sealed the tomb. Now, you got a multi-thousand-pound stone rolled in front of it, and they poured some wax on it. Here's how they sealed it. They poured some hot wax on it and literally put the authority of Caesar's emblem on it. Highest authority in the land. And here's the concept. <laughs> if you're going to break that seal, you better have more authority than Caesar. Guess what happened on day three? That seal got broken. Are you with me? You following this? Somebody broke the seal because he had more authority, more power than Caesar. And Jesus happened to let the disciples in on that, and that changed the whole world. So let me say this. All authority, what's that mean? All. The church began in open rebellion to the state. It did. This great commission, the great commission done right, will always challenge the false messiah of the state. Because it's a kingdom, folks. It's a kingdom. He's the king. We're the dumb, but we're all a part of it. Right? He's the king of a kingdom. And all authority is his alone. And I want to say to you, it changes everything. Those early Christians, do you know why they were executed? They were not executed for worshiping Jesus. Rome could care less who you worship. You could worship your dog, and some of them did. They don't care. There were thousands of gods in Rome. But they were martyred because they refused to take a little pinch of incense and throw it in a little fire, basically a candle, and say these words, Caesar Curios, which means Caesar is Lord. What, and because what those words mean is that Caesar is the highest authority. He has, and Jesus said, nope, he's not, I am. And, it, and for them to throw that little incense and say those meaningless words, Caesar Corios, they understood it was cosmic treason against the king who said, all authority is mine, not his. 
And they would rather commit treason against Caesar than treason against Christ. I fear in the church today that has long passed. And we have bowed the knee to Caesar and committed treason against Christ. That's why what we did yesterday is so important. That needs to be a jump start to us doing that every single day in our life when we come across people. That's why we need those events. So these early Christians chose death in the most horrific ways, but oh, but they died faithful. So Jesus gave them something to know before he gave them something to do. And I want to say to you before we move on to verse 19, we have the right and the responsibility to fearlessly carry out the orders of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. There is nothing higher than that call to do that. And we have power behind us that no earthly jurisdiction can touch. That's why when those people start pouring into that parking lot, we don't need to have any fear. Because King Jesus' authority is over all of that. Look at verse 19. Because all this is true, because all authority belongs to our king, what do you do? You get busy and go. Because that therefore is pointing back to all power. Because all power, all authority, the highest authority in the world on earth is King Jesus. Get going. As you go, and that word is interesting, it's as you're going about your life. Do what? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. There's that word all again. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And I call that, listen to this now. Maybe you never thought about it this way. We hear it so often. That is the co-mission. Co-mission. That's what it means. You're, you're, you're joining the king in his mission. Did Jesus tell us what he came to do? What did he tell us in Luke? Son of man, I came to seek and to save what? That which is lost. And now he is opening it up and saying, join me. Follow me and I'll make you what, church? Fishers of men. Let's do this. Come with me as, as we fulfill my mission together. Now in here is actually only one main verb. There's only one command in here. Did you know that? You got go, you got make disciples of all the nations, you got baptizing them, and then the next word you got teaching them to obey. You know, on, only one of those is a main verb, and the other three are participles. So I, I'm going to need to give you a little grammar lesson. These two guys up here in the front, see, I give them a grammar lesson every Monday in, in Latin which corresponds to English. When you have a, part of, a verb that's a participle, here's a way for us to understand it. It's the YBH of the main verb, right? So our, you want to know what the main verb in here is? It's make disciples. That's the main thing we're supposed to do. And everything else, the going, the baptizing, and the teaching are nothing but the YBH of making disciples. Can you make disciples if you don't go? No. Once you make a disciple... What are you supposed to do? You baptize them. That's what begging disciples looks like. And then what do you do? You disciple them. You, make them. you teach them to obey everything that the Lord commanded. That's fruit. But the root is the making of the disciple, which I think is regeneration. Hudson Taylor said this. He's a great missionary. He said, the Great Commission is not an option to be considered. It is a command to be obeyed. 
Amen? It's a command, and we must obey it. So the main word there is make disciples. And I just call it transformation. Transformation via salvation or regeneration. You must be born again. Amen? One command, three YBHs. Here's the command. Make disciples. And by the way, Jesus doesn't recommend that mission. He demands it. It's his final charge, and how can the church fail to keep it? But here's the reality. Evangelism is a Cinderella at the Christian ball. We Christians are guilty of flagrant disobedience to our king, and the culmination of his kingdom is put off. Evangelism, sharing our faith, it's the Cinderella at the Christian ball. It's a, it's a shame. David Livingston, the great missionary to Africa, said this. If a commission by an earthly king is considered an honor, how can a commission by a heavenly king be considered a sacrifice? So if it's an honor to be commissioned by an earthly king or power, how can we consider it a sacrifice to tell our neighbor about Jesus? That's why I'm trying to get in the habit, and would you all help me do it, that as before we sing the doxology and leave this place, I try to leave you with this one command, and it's part of why we're here. It's the last one in our mission statement. Leave this place and go expand Christ's kingdom. Amen? That's what we're supposed to be doing. That's what yesterday was all about. Those were, that was Christ's last words as well. I like the words of Patrick Morley, the guy who wrote Man in the Mirror. He said this. If the Great Commission is true, our plans are not too big. They are too small. To be honest with you, I was a little overwhelmed with yesterday's event leading up to it. There's a lot of, there's still stuff I got to do to close that down, right? And I'm thinking, I don't know how we're going to do all this. You know, people are going to be there. and I got, What in the world? But here's the thing. That wasn't too big. It was too small. If the Great Commission is true. Then the next one is go. That's the mobilization. And, and that word is in the continual tense. Is as you're going about your life, as you're living your life, you need to live it with an eye to making disciples, to sharing the gospel and, bringing, and, and leading people into a relationship where they repent of their sin and, and, and grab a hold of Jesus through belief and faith that comes from the Holy Spirit and, 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 and following him. So that's mobilization. We've got to get mobilized, Amen. Leonard Ravenhill, the great revivalist, said this. Christians don't tell lies. They just go to church and sing them. How many times have you stood and sang, take my life and let it be, when you haven't given him one ounce of it? Hello. Is it your life or is it his? Carl Henry put it this way. The gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. That should hang heavy on us. Then you baptize them. Here's a fruit. Going is the root. Here's the fruit of, of, of regeneration is baptism. I just call that identification. Right? You baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's identifying. It's saying this is who I belong to. Right? That's what... That's what a wedding ring is about. You know, 
It's a reminder. It's a physical reminder of an internal and external reality. I'm a one-woman man. I'm sorry, lady. She got me. She won the prize. Whatever that prize was, she got it. Was it 33 years now, honey? 33 years. I'm hers. She's mine. Just the two of us. It's identification. And I told her up until we got married how much I loved her. But you know what? Until I put that ring on her finger, talk is what, church? Cheap. Cheap. It's the same thing with Christians. Don't, okay, so you said a prayer. What's that mean? By the way, when these New Testament Christians got baptized, they were putting their life on the line. It's identification. Look at verse 20. Here's the next thing. It's also a fruit. Teaching them to observe or to do all the things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Teaching all things. Teaching obedience. That's called sanctification. So we have justification being set right with God. Sanctification is living right with God. Amen? It's learning to, to, to look more like Jesus and less like the world. Are you with me this morning? Anybody here? That's, that's sanctification, teaching them. And I fear that what we've done, even in this church, and we're a, part, we're a product of the culture that we live in today, is that we have embraced what I call the gospel Americana. And that is the belief that you can have Jesus but not follow him. That is, we say, well, nobody pre everybody preaches that. That you can live like hell but somehow end up in heaven. You wouldn't even be comfortable there. Just say a prayer, get wet, and you're good. There's only one problem with that, brothers and sisters. There isn't one hint of that in this book. We made that up like fairy tales. To make us feel good about our own children who are living like hell. And we say, oh, well, you know what? They said the prayer, little Johnny got baptized at four. I don't need to worry about him. You need to worry about him. I can baptize you till every fish in Wildwood knows your name. But you go down a wet center, come up a wet center until Jesus changes your heart and you start looking like him. Reformation Day today, Martin Luther. I got to put a quote in there from him. Here's what he said. There is no justification without sanctification. No forgiveness without renewal of life. No real faith from which the fruits of new obedience do not grow. Thank you, Martin. Jesus put it this way in John 4, 14, verse 5. If you love me, do what I've commanded you to do. You love me? Talk is cheap. Put a ring on that finger and do what I say. Amen? Do it. Just do it. Follow him. And then this, last one, and we skip this one. It's the admonition. And lo, I'm with you even to the end of the age. And I love this. Here's the idea, folks. The king's going with us. <laughs> Isn't that great this morning? 
He's going with us. We're never alone. He's not saying, okay, here's what I need you to do. Now go do it, and I'm going to sit back here and watch. It reminds me of Sam's games on Friday night. If you ever, I'm so busy watching him, but if you ever watch the coach, Sam's coach, Coach Ox, he's telling these boys what to do out there, and he is on the sidelines. But you can tell he wants to be in there doing it with them in the worst way. If, the, if they would let the coach put on pads, and he would be out there leading from, from the line, not from the sideline. Isn't that right, Sam? You can see it in him. He's just, he just so fired up. But Jesus, he is not just sending us like a coach. He is leading us like a commander. Amen? Amen? He is the first one. He said, and when you, if you want to be near me, here's where the battle is. You got to come out here, and you got to be doing what I, you got to be fishing, because I'm fishing. He's going with us. Without his presence and empowering, there could never even, uh, we could never even contemplate world mission. But when the Lord commands, he enables, and his enabling is his presence. And it's interesting, Matthew opens up his gospel with the name of this baby who's coming. And he says his name will be, you will call him, Emmanuel. Anyone remember what Emmanuel means? God with us. God with us. You know what's interesting? He closes his gospel with the same reminder. And remember, I am with you always to the very end. Now that's a literary device called inclusio. To end with the beginning in mind. So here's the deal, church. This is so beautiful. He's not sending us as much as he's inviting us to join him. A co-mission. Are we seeing it now? He has all authority, and he's going with us if we'll go with him. And you know what that means? We can't lose. We can't lose. I forget what sermon it was. I think he preached here twice was. But in one of Wes's sermons, he made this statement. It just tickled me with, with just the joy of the Holy Spirit. He said, God ha is not now, nor has he ever been in the business of losing. We are on the winning side right now, and that's not a reason to sit. It's a reason to get up and serve and go with the king. He's out there leading the charge. We are not to be back hiding in the bushes. We get to go with him, and we can't lose. And this is not a have to, it's a get to. And please don't ever forget it. So what, what's a so what, and then I'm done. What am I want you to do with this? So what? I'm going to give you two R's. It's not in your outline, but you can write it down in the back. The first thing I had to do when I reread this text recently, super important, you probably need to do it too. You ready for this? Repent. <laughs> I'm just being honest with you. I'm reading this, I say, my word, Jesus is leading the charge, and I'm back here trying to organize it. It's not my job to organize, it's my job to follow him. You with me? We need to repent. We have a lot of misguided ideas and self-serving meology in place of Christ-honoring theology. And it's wormed its way into our thinking. We've drunk deeply from the well of worldly wisdom. And listen, I felt it. I don't know you guys that were out there sharing yesterday. I felt it. You don't want the people to think you're this weird person. But they're, at, they're on 
the ground of King Jesus, and they have come to eat our free food and take our free candy, and they need to listen to the truth of the gospel because the king demands their repentance and faith. Amen? And we need to be bold because we can't lose. We can't lose. We need to turn away from our fear. And we need to start getting bold. I got a pot-smoking neighbor that needs to bow to King Jesus before it's too late. He's great. He, honestly, he's a great guy. I don't think it's because of the pot. but he's, he's a great guy. But he needs Christ. You know, and let me tell you how the Lord smacks us around and wakes us up to that. I went over there the other day to talk to him about something specific with my truck because guys, the guy can fix anything. So I'm going over there to talk about my truck, and you know what the first thing he says to me? He said, uh, I really need to get back in church. <laughs> what time does your church start? And I was, I was so convicted. I went over there to talk about a stuck door, and he wanted to talk about a stuck heart. You and I, we have family that are living in rebellion to our king. We got to do something. And it starts with acknowledging my sin and failure and personal gospel witnessing. We need a refresher course in that, and we're fixing to get one in our D groups. Thomas Watson said this. Till sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. Can't sit here and fall asleep during this message, folks. Our sin needs to be bitter in order for Christ to be sweet. We got to repent. But then I think there's another R. We got to rejoice. <laughs> there's so much to be happy about. Repent first, then rejoice because you get to join the king in his mission to seek and to save the lost. Isn't that great? In the Spanish, in the Latino community, uh, my wife and I served in Central Falls, Rhode Island, heavy Puerto Rican community. And those Puerto Rican mothers had this term that they would use. And as soon as they said it in such a tone, I didn't even know what it meant, and that turned my head. If they wanted to get their children's attention, they would just say this. They would say, mira. Mira, and that mira means look here. Pay attention to me. Kind of like when my wife clears her throat. She'll say, <clears throat> like even sometimes, there, she, the other Sunday, I was sitting up here, Jay was making announcements, and she did that, and I turned around to look at her to see which kid was in trouble because I was going to fix him. And she looked at me and said, no, I was, she gave me this signal, and I knew what it meant. She said, I was literally just clearing my throat. <laughs> That word mita is like that for those, those Latino mamas. Mita, look here. That's what Jesus is saying here. Lo, remember, mita, look here. Remember, don't ever forget, I'm going with you. And if you want to be with me, you have to follow where I am leading, and I am going to seek and to save the lost. What are you doing? And I close with this, a quote from Jason Ma. He says this, God is calling forth a generation that is passionate for his presence. His presence. 
a generation that knows who they are and whose they are. He is calling forth sons and daughters who don't find their identity in revival, but in Christ. For the great commission must flow out of the great commandment. Our destinies must flow out of our identities as beloved children of God who know their worth, their value, and their honor before the Father. We have nothing to prove and we have nothing to lose. It is time for change. It is time for revival and reformation in this generation. We need to leave this place and expand his kingdom. And if we're not doing that, we're not going with the king. We are holding back and we are absent without leave. May God burn the truth of this beautiful commandment on our hearts today. Would you stand with me? Father, we come to you today thanking you for King Jesus, thanking you that you've called us to be a part of, of, of your global eternal kingdom, calling us to join you in expanding that kingdom. And may we do it joyfully today. And may we see the fruit and give you the glory. May it not even for one moment be about us, but may it always be all about you. And Lord, for some of the seeds that were planted last night, for people who showed up, our church people who served for four hours in the kitchen, others who brought games and played with children so that we could talk to their parents and grandparents. Lord, I pray for those. I pray for that young lady who, who's overdue, and she wants that baby to hold off till this Wednesday. Would you do that for her as I prayed for her last night just to show your faithfulness and that you are God? I pray for Anthony, who I met last night, that, Lord, you, 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 would, you would speak to his heart, that you would give us another opportunity to minister to him, that he would, he would respond to my phone number so that, we can, we can get back together. I, I, I pray for Kevin, who needs you so desperately to become the, the dad that his kids need and the son that you desire him to be, your son, that you would begin to touch those father wounds in his life. Lord, so many came last night. They came for candy, but I pray that they would get Christ instead and find him to be sweeter than anything they took away last night. Wake us up. Help us to go with you, to be with you in your mission. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.